1: We're live at the Axos Advisor Service Conference Focus on the future in Denver, Colorado. And with us is Eliza Depardo, the founder of Depardo Consulting, who are industry specialists that leverage their business consulting expertise and research insights to deliver great advice to their clients. Welcome, Eliza.
0: Thank you, Doug. It's lovely to be here with you.
1: So Eliza, how did you get here? Why financial services? And what was the path to founding your own firm?
0: It's been a long path. Um, Why financial services? Well, I did a business degree. I studied marketing. I didn't quite know what I was going to do after I graduated, but I ended up with a job at AXA as a paraplanner, and that was my entry into the industry. Of course, I had no idea which direction I was going to go, and over the course of time, I kind of weaved my way through uh, different teams and found myself in a business consulting team many, many years ago, which was with, at the time, the National Australia Bank. Um, And from there, I moved uh, to a consulting role with the Moss Adams Business Consulting Group in Seattle. And that really was the beginning of my uh, consulting career in the United States, which um, in 2008 um, resulted in the founding of FA Insight with my partner at the time, um, business partner, Dan Inveen. And uh, we co-founded FA Insight at the worst possible time. At, Absolutely. <laughs> right? In the darkest days of the the recession. Um, and uh, from there, we had a wonderful run together before becoming acquired by TD Ameritrade. And now I'm Depardo Consulting, uh, operating independently and doing much of the same work with institutions, financial institutions, as well as uh, with advisory firms, um, which is wonderful.
1: What are the, some of the ways you find yourself working with advisors in today's environment? What's what's their need?
0: Well, the biggest need I hear about repeatedly um, would be human capital-related challenges. And that kind of runs the gamut of everything from how do I structure my team, how do I build dedicated management? Um, compensation is such a red-hot issue as well at the moment. You can imagine you know, in the environment that we're in with inflation where it's at, uh, owners are having a hard time figuring out how to pay people. They're also having a really hard time recruiting talent and retaining people. And all of that is impacting on compensation also. So, you know, it's, it's everything people related typically. I do a lot of work in strategic growth planning um, also, but at the moment I would suggest that human capital is really where most firms are um most challenged.
1: That's good, because we're going to get into all of that. Excellent. <laughs> um, there seems to be a huge talent shortage in our industry, in many places that you think there'd be talent shortages, and then a lot of places where you wouldn't think there'd be talent shortages. What's going on, and how do we solve that?
0: Mm, it's an excellent question, and it's a bigger challenge, I think, than what we originally contemplated, So over the years of conducting research, um, you know, around 15 years of conducting research, we've known all along that there's been kind of a shortfall in the number of um, paraplanners in place to replace associate advisors, and certainly a large shortfall in the number of associate advisors in place to replace lead advisors. So we've always had this strong sense that we've got this talent deficit within the industry. What we never really understood though, of course, until more recently, were some of the macro trends that are taking place. Um, the pandemic aside, which has been, I think, the warning flare for us that made us pay close attention to um, the availability of talent. Um, pandemic aside, you know, there's some fantastic research out of Corn Ferry that was released in two thousand and eighteen, um, the global talent crunch, and what they reported was, you know, in their study of all sectors across all of the economies around the world that the United States financial services industry is the one industry that is going to be hit hardest by this talent shortage. And what's driving it in the United States is the very high volume of baby boomers, which are reaching retirement age every single day for the next 12 years or so. Just this exodus of incredibly deep expertise that we're experiencing, and a lack of talent in place to replace those people and it's not to be clear this is not a people shortage this is a skills shortage it just means we have a lack of um, well-qualified experienced individuals in place to be able to take over from those who are departing the industry to the tune of somewhere around 436 billion dollars in unrealized revenue output is what they estimate at corn ferry which is across what they call the business services and financial services sector in the United States. So this is a 10-year is issue. This is not specifically a pandemic issue. It's not just a U.S. issue. It, it's a global problem. But we happen to be in the one industry that's been earmarked as having the greatest challenge around the supply of talent.
1: I'm jumping around here. Sure. <clears throat> um, we talk to many firms, accumulators, and they're adding advisors at a brisk rate. And, and culture is such a buzzword with all these firms. We have such a great culture. They all lead with that. How can there be culture with everyone everywhere on their computer screens, and how can they all lead with we have great culture?
0: It's such a challenge, isn't it? So much of culture is what we learn from each other when we're in the same space. I think you can, you can to some extent teach culture, but so much of it's observed and I think that's an additional layer of challenge that businesses have um, working remotely. And certainly, you know, as firms think about what their strategy looks like, kind of post-pandemic. I don't know if I can even say post-pandemic. We're not quite there yet. But firms are, are really trying to recalibrate around this remote work format and figure out what makes the most sense going forward. And I, I do, when I, when I'm working with firms, I'm you know very clear to it has it has to be. If remote work is to continue, it has to be coupled with greater human capital expertise in managing people at a distance and uh, building culture at a distance. And I think that for many firms, there is a large gap. Perhaps the ones that you're speaking with are doing more in terms of having dedicated people management in place to make sure that we are really effective in the way that we are um, training people who are remote to us and making sure they feel like they're part of the team and that we're, we're introducing special initiatives to create culture at a distance, it's not easy, and, and it's so new to most of us. We haven't had to do it uh, in earnest uh, until the pandemic kind of gave us this this kind of test period to figure out you know how it'll work. So I think there's still some ways to go there in terms of figuring out how we build culture at a distance.
1: Quiet quitting: a new term for disengagement or something new?:
0: I suspect in many firms, quiet quitting has always happened. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I think if you're running a team that's culturally focused on high, high performance culture, you're maybe less likely to have experienced it in the past, but perhaps that's something that you might discover, you know, it's kind of just a combination of people feeling worn out from, you know, two and a half years of working remotely. I think the inflationary environment is putting pressure on team members, and they're probably feeling like, gosh, I really need comp- a compensation increase at this stage, and maybe some are feeling disengaged for that reason. People are kind of just worn out in general. Um, you know, I really encourage fans to think about tracking their productivity levels of the, their advisory positions and their, revenue, their non-revenue generating roles, rather, just to kind of get a sense for how do, how do these roles function under normal conditions? How do they function under more difficult markets? And whether or not there is kind of this taking the foot off the gas type mentality going on within the businesses that might represent something like quiet quitting. It's hard to, it's probably hard for most firms to get a, you know, put the finger on exactly, but I will say that there's merit in whichever business you're you're operating to get as close as you can to understanding the sentiment of your team members, how they're feeling about their role in the business, their future in the firm, um, and keeping a very close eye on quit rates within your business, which of course were, were relatively high August last year. Um, most firms have probably a pretty close, you know, I'd say they have a handle on their their talent retention uh, numbers. I think it's important to pay close attention to that. But really, you know, because your human capital is truly going to be the leading indicator of your success as a business. Um, paying very close attention to the sentiment of the team is is just super important. And you can resolve a lot of things within the firm if you've got great people who are you know, well engaged. So I, I certainly encourage firms down that path.
1: I, I think you mentioned something about this, but <clears throat> the great resignation, is it real? And where are these people going? And do they have the money to do this?
0: <laughs> well, um, so the great resignation um, was at, it was at the highest point if you like back in august of last year and economy-wide quit rates got to um i think it was 2.9 percent across all sectors now of course some sectors really fared much worse than that hospitality and leisure was the worst hit as an industry however we actually didn't do so badly so um It's a really good question to ask because when we look at quit rates in our industry, it was around 1.3% at the same time, right? And if we compare that to the dot-com era or we compare it to even um, our previous recession in 2008, uh, we actually fared pretty well. We did much worse back in in those days in terms of quit rates. So I don't think we can actually blame the great resignation for – perhaps the volume of turnovers that firms might feel they're experiencing um there are probably other factors at play but in general yes firms have seen turnover but it's probably not as bad as we've had it before um and you know if if anything it's just again it's a reminder to say hey let's let's figure out if you're losing talent what's driving that you know is it is it related to the culture of the firm is it related to um just morale within the business. Of course, the other compounding factor is we have very low unemployment at the moment. And so even if team members are happy, they might entertain the idea of moving elsewhere because they know they can probably generate higher compensation right now. There's kind of... The pendulum has completely swung in favour of talent at the moment. And so I think, you know, those people who are looking for jobs, they, they know that. And those who maybe weren't considering a move might just do that, right, and just... Um, perhaps kick the tires and see what's out there.
1: So let's talk compensation. Has it skyrocketed? And is it becoming too expensive to hire and retain people?
0: Well, we don't have um, current year data that I can speak to on whether or not it's increased or not. But um, anecdotally, when I speak to firms from coast to coast, I get the same story. That is, when they're interviewing for new personnel, new talent they're finding that the expectations of candidates is far higher than what they anticipated they're wanting pay that's well above what experienced incumbents are getting paid and these are individuals who don't necessarily have the skills or the experience relative to those incumbents right so in many cases firm owners those executives who are interviewing are having to show, sort of turn away candidates because they just can't meet the market and they have to kind of rethink their strategy around recruitment i do think in some cases firms will just kind of sit tight and do with less for a period of time if they can that being said um most owners and executives if they haven't already been pressed by current team members around compensation levels i would say by the end of year performance reviews they probably will be Um, inflation no doubt is going to be front of mind for many team members and they're going to ask the question around cost of living adjustments are you prepared to make uh, an upward adjustment across the board to team members um, to help you know provide some relief for the current circumstances that they find themselves in and that will naturally kind of push up uh, compensation relative to revenue. I think both direct expenses and overhead expenses as a share of revenue this year will grow. At the same time, security markets have been working against us with revenue will be de- declining in terms of growth rates for most firms this year. So, you know, it's, it is getting very expensive. Let's hope that it's a short-term experience and we get some sort of balanced return to um, compensation.
1: Can the next generation of advisors take the mantle from this generation and run with it?
0: If there is adequate training and development, I believe so. Always the biggest gap between an associate advisor and a lead advisor who is commonly, you know, a business partner oftentimes, potentially a founder of the firm. The biggest gap is generally new client acquisition capabilities, business development. And I think as you're recruiting associate advisors, it has to be front of mind that at some point, We need these individuals to be able to drive the growth of the firm. We need to transition them towards lead advisor responsibilities and to be able to take over the um, accountability for adding new clients and doing so at a clip that absolutely sustains rates of growth for the business. That to me is the greatest gap, if you like. And, And a lot of firms haven't recruited with that in mind and they may have fantastic associate advisors, but perhaps they're really wonderful at servicing and they don't have any aspiration to do the business development work. So in answer to your question, it's going to depend on kind of the skills that they've recruited for when they've hired that next generation of talent and how much effort they're putting into training and developing and mentoring those younger advisors to get them there.
1: Down market, hiring and retraining is hard, compensation has skyrocketed. What the heck is making advisors happy?
0: (laughs) Well, the good news is that Um, as an industry, we're very resilient. And even though we're we're looking, um, you know, we're trudging through some very rough terrain as an industry right now, and it's probably going to continue for the foreseeable future, there are certainly things that advisors can be doing to continue to um, sustain growth. Um, You know, today, earlier on today, we spoke about uh, some research that I was a part of conducting at FA Insight during the Uh, recession of 2008 2009 and you know what we learned through that research is that the standout firms the best performing firms during our previous recession uh, in the financial crisis they are businesses that did a really wonderful job of focusing on brand new client acquisition adding new clients really investing in their marketing and business development despite the fact that revenue was declining in you know early 2008 and 2000 parts of 2009 for them they continued to expand their teams they took very much you know uh, um, a growth had a, had very much a growth mindset they weren't settling on just surviving they really felt that they could still thrive during difficult conditions and their performance was exceptional um, performance that you would be satisfied with in any market um, so you know the the upside is, there are many levers that an advisory firm has to drive performance. We're not dependent solely on the markets. And we have a really strong track record of being able to recover quickly. And we also have the insights to help us understand what the best firms do during these difficult times to, to truly sustain performance and ensure that they're returning great revenue growth rates and operating profit to shareholders.
1: Uh, last one. Sure. How do we get more young people interested in financial services?
0: Uh, It's a great question also. I believe that um, as an industry, given the talent crisis that we're facing, we have to focus on casting a much wider net as we recruit and change some of our criteria for recruitment in the past Uh, most advisory firms have very strict criteria about who they bring into the business. They want certain university degrees in financial planning courses. They want to see, if not financial planning, you know, finance, accounting, economics, just related qualifications. Well, the pool is too small. And if we're going to try to really increase the volume of talent coming into the industry, I do think the criteria for employment will have to change. Um, It will mean we we might... uh, be attracting much greener talent but people who have skills in complementary areas like sales or relationship management, customer service that can be really applicable to our industry. Um, we have a – you know, the industry provides so many incredible opportunities but I think we have limited the kind of um, – the way we approach recruitment has been uh, quite exclusive, if you like, and I think we can do a much better job of broadening – our approach and combining that with professional development opportunities to create kind of a you know more of a um a a general understanding of uh, the industry so that new candidates can become more productive much more quickly can become more familiar with our industry um and become you know for for the advisory firm great contributors more easily for the business so look i i just think it's it's about opening the door a little wider and letting more people in and paying much more attention to how we develop talent. You know, I think that will also diversify the industry, which is a wonderful be a wonderful outcome to achieve. Where um, you know, we've been probably quite exclusive in the past in terms of uh, requirements for entry. And I think now's the time to rethink some of that.
1: Really, really nice. Visiting with you, Eliza, thanks so much for being with us.
0: Thank you so much for your time. I'm happy to be here.
1: To learn more about Departo Consulting, please visit departoconsulting.com. Please follow us for all of these updates. On Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook, all at Advisorpedia. For everybody at Advisorpedia and the Power Your Advice podcast team, this is Doug Heikenden.